Restrictions may apply. Plans and costs for coverage may vary. Call Protect My Car for details. In these hard economic times, you've got to do whatever you can to save money. One of our biggest expenses can be our cars, especially when unexpected repair bills hit. Not anymore. If you do own a car, truck, or SUV made from $19.99 or higher, you could stop paying for car repairs. That's right. You might not have to pay a penny to have it repaired. Just dial star star 1149 on your mobile phone now to see if you qualify. You must have an automobile made from $19.99 or higher, and all repairs. Repairs for your engine, transmission, and much more can become a thing of the past. Dial star star 1149 on your mobile phone today and get your car protected before your next repair bill hits. That's right. Total protection for your car and no more repair bills. Just dial star star 1149 on your mobile phone now to see if your car qualifies. That's star star 1149. Never pay for car repairs again. Just dial star star 1149 on your mobile phone now. Dial star star 1149. Truly, as it was written long ago, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. Twenty two November Network and Neopolis Media Group. Research comes to shine, and myths come to die. Stay tuned. Be right there. I'm curious to know just how you supported yourself during the three years that you lived in the Soviet Union. Did you have a government subsidy? Uh, well, as I, uh, uh, well, I will answer that uh, that uh, question directly then, uh, since uh, uh, you will not rest until you get your answer. Uh, I worked in Russia. Uh, I was under uh, the protection of the uh, of the. Uh, I w- that is to say, I was not under the protection of the uh, American government, but that is, I was uh, at all times uh, considered an American citizen. I did not uh, lose my uh, American chi- citizenship. The V, the V, and that's all, folks. Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? And welcome to the Lone Gummit Podcast, episode number. 69 yep the old 69er is here and so is my friend mr carmine savastano what's up buddy how you doing Rob? good now not much now everybody out there should know carmine by now if you haven't he's been on the show a couple times feel free to go back and re-listen to some episodes but if you haven't heard about carmine everybody head over to tpac.com tpaak.com check it out he's writing a book hopefully it'll be out uh sometime this year or next or 
hopefully, right? <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, yeah, we're shooting for pre-release in November, so. And uh, <clears throat> it's all about the assassinations of JFK, RFK, and Martin Luther King. It's called Two Princes and a King. There's also a lot of research you can find on the site. Isn't that right? Yep. Uh, we have, uh, not only do we have uh, our own stuff, but we have a recommended section uh, so we can have you go to continue the research on your own if you want to as well. Awesome. And you're also the proprietor of the Neapolis Media Group, which can be found on Facebook as well, right? Indeed, sir. We're on Facebook, Google+, Plus, uh, video, uh, our Vimeo. We only have the one video, but, you know, we're working on it. <laughs> and that's... Uh, uh, we're, uh, we're also um, on uh, Twitter now, so slowly expanding our reach. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, I just uh, created an account on this new new social media site called Minds, and uh, it's it's very much in in its infancy, but uh, it has the potential to be something decent. It's like uh, Facebook, but it's, everything's totally encrypted, so <laughs> your, your your privacy is safe there. Your messages are safe there. It's it's supposedly unhackable, um, so. We'll see, but so far so good. I like the way it works, and uh, you know, I got I got I got the show on Tumblr now, uh, and I want everybody out there, if you follow me on Twitter, to go ahead and sign up and download a Twitter. I guess it's a I don't know an augment augmentation of Twitter. It's an app called Periscope, and Periscope is a very very cool app what it allows you to do it notifies everybody that's following you um, when you go live now I can go live and do a video streaming uh, session and that'd be kinda cool to do you know sometimes so when I get enough followers on Periscope I will do something I promise and uh, whether it be, I'll take you into the bookstore with me. We'll look at the, J- the uh, JFK section, or uh, we can do a, you know, a review, or we can talk about the case. You know, whatever, whatever it may be. It's 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 kind of a cool thing, Carmine. You know, you just pop up out of out of nowhere and do a random video streaming session. Yeah, and you can interact with people. They can message you while you're doing it, and you can see the messages right on your screen, and they can see me. Uh, I can't see them, but they can see me, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's just just something different, something kind of cool, you know. Yeah, well, the technology's definitely expanding in new ways. Oh, most definitely, it's crazy, and only going to get crazier, I'm sure. <laughs> now, call mine. What? Why I wanted you to have you on the show? We've been wanting to do this show for a while now. Uh, we got derailed from it a, uh, a couple months ago, I think. We we got into doing something else, but. I wanted, I wanted to do a show concerning, of course, Oswald's defection to the United or USSR. And the reason why is that, you know, there's lots of uh, very odd events going, you know, surrounding this whole defection thing, you know, whether or not it was a personal decision that he made on his own uh, for his own benefit or if there was maybe a defector program that he was tapped for and he was actually sent there. Um, and I know you, 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 uh, you sent me some documents to look over and everything. And, uh, the first one you sent me, I'd never seen before. And it, and it's, and it's really, 
it's really eye-opening to what it, it goes through a, a list of defectors to the, to to, to yeah, Russia. Yeah, yeah, the sixty-seven study. Yeah. yeah, and uh, what they what they said about Oswald when they were describing him that made me chuckle a little bit. Uh, if you have that right there in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Can you go ahead and read that? Sure. Yeah, I'll go over some of the stuff. Okay. So this was a CIA-backed thing here we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. The CIA commissioned these studies in 67. I'm thinking perhaps if they needed – you know, that's the same year that Garrison was around, so that might have had something – they might have been – you know, they, they wanted to get as much information as they could on Oswald for whatever reason. Gotcha. So, so what does this document tell us exactly? Russia just basically let him stay there, basically. Yeah, he just hung out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, and I think it probably had something to do with the suicide attempt. Yeah, me too. They weren't sure exactly what they were dealing with. Right. And they didn't want an international incident because they screwed up, you know, and let him kill himself. Right. Yeah, I think they uh, they wanted to keep an eye on him the whole time he was they there, in fact. Yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think his his apartment they gave him was wired for sound, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh, uh, in one of the uh, documents I was reading, it was saying that he barely did anything, whether it was a shower, no matter what he was doing, he was usually being watched. Right. Um, but yeah, it, so going back to the document, uh, Oswald was the youngest defector by at least three years, and 
he was born 16 years after most of the defectors that they were studying. So most of the defectors went over at an older age than him, basically is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, okay. they were more established. I think he was, yeah, he was fresh out of the, the military. Right. So he was 19 or 20, I would, uh, I believe. Yep. So 20, yeah. He was, he was 20 when he defected, so he was 15 years younger than the average. The average person was 35.5. Uh, he was the only one born and bred in the South. Hmm. So how many how many guys are we talking about here again? Thirty seven, you say? Um, let me see. I think twenty five is twenty five is what they studied. Yeah, twenty five is in this study. Later on, I think it increases with House Select Committee. Okay. I thought it was interesting how they, they went down and classified each of these guys into certain classifications like violent or aggressive or homosexual. Homosexual, yeah. One. Now, how, how did they describe Oswald? Because it, it was hard to, I, I think they described him as a Marxist, I know, but if you go, if you follow that line over, yeah. it, it they give a little description about his personality. Well, I, I think it said loner, ag yeah. aggressive, what was it? I think it was the second page, right after the first one. Yeah, loner, misfit, frustrated, aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> and there you have it, people. That was <laughs> exactly, and that's. That I definitely think that that might have factored into the later stories that people often heard. Oh yeah. Or that little analysis well, was based even, on... Even in here, they state that Oswald, 14, including Oswald, were mentally unbalanced. They call him mentally unbalanced. Now, I'm not saying Oswald is the picture of mental health by any means. But he didn't strike me as mentally unbalanced, especially when they're assessing him at the point of his defection. He's only 20. Yeah, and, and to give uh, Chuck Locelli a, a quick plug here, he actually did an interview with Ernst Titovetz last year. Oswald's best friend in Russia. And uh, I'd recommend everybody go listen to it because it gives you a very good insight as to how Oswald was as a person in Russia. You know, he described him as having many friends, being very sociable, totally uncharacteristic of what we've heard about him before, you know? Everybody does. It just depends on when you're looking at them. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Or how deeply you 
Yeah. You know, you catch somebody at a pissed off moment and call them aggressive, you know, or you see them by themselves walking to the store while now he's a loner. So, you know. Exactly. Oh, yeah, and he's a loner, you know, who in New Orleans was home every night. Right. With his family. You know, the night before he supposedly is alleged to go and shoot the president, he's playing on the lawn at the Payne's house with his kids and he's watching TV and turning in early. It doesn't sound like a loner. No, no. Well, a lot of that stuff they they try to say about him is is just uncharacteristic, you know. I mean, we have no we have no evidence whatsoever that he was ever aggressive. I mean, you know, Marina said he used to beat her around or whatever, but we don't have no evidence of it. We don't have no police reports. We don't have pictures with her with her eye black. You know, that's not saying he didn't do anything, but we don't have proof of it. You know. Exactly. You know, and nobody else has ever really put that on him as being some aggressive, you know, asshole type personality that would fight at the drop of a hat or yeah. got bent out of shape. Antisocial, I would give them. I would give them antisocial because, you know, he didn't operate in, you know, normally in every social circle that he was in. He was aggressive sometimes as far as not aggressive physically, but aggressive in confrontational you know, about politics and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you got two different, two different pictures of him too. If you paint, if you look at his time at the radio factory in Minsk, when he was there, you know, he had many friends. He was very sociable. He used to go to dances and, and, you know, he'd go hunting with him. He, he was very sociable, you know, dude. Now, whether it had anything to do with the fact that he knew he was going to be there for a while, or he was in a strange country and was just trying to get well, to know people. Yeah, and then you have that contrasting with his uh, interaction with the employees of the Texas School Book Depository where many, many of them said that he never said much, he hardly ever engaged in conversation, and he mostly kept to himself and read the paper, which is a very stark contrast between his behavior in Russia and his behavior in, in Dallas right before the assassination. So who the hell knows? I mean, you know, stuff happens in people's lives that is totally different, you know. I mean, he could you know, have been. He, he was probably in the gray like we all are. You know, he might have hit his wife. That wasn't uncharacteristic for the time. Yeah. But I don't think that he was a serial wife beater by any means. No, no. You know, I don't think that he might have. He's not all the things that the commission tried to characterize him as. He wasn't obviously mentally unbalanced like some people tried to say. Yeah, I mean, this is back before, you know, not really women's equal rights and, and, and you know, feminism and. and all that, you know, it wasn't all leave it to beaver back then, you, you know, it was, things were kind of looked at in a different way, you know, but, um, <clears throat> not saying that's right either, but it's, it is what it is, you know, you better have my dinner on the table by five o'clock and it better be good. <laughs> you know. <laughs>
in one of the FBI interviews, a week later, she's already agreeing with the government saying that that must be the way it happened and he's guilty. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm sure he, she was in a very unenviable position, too, being a stranger yeah. in a strange land. like a lot of things and you know I'm sure we'll touch on this a little later too but if Marina was something more than a uh, just an innocent girl uh, you know who met and married this guy in Russia if she was possibly some some kind of agent sicked on him to keep a closer eye on him uh, who who happened to get knocked up and had to get married um, you know and if that's true, and if our government knew that, you know, how things worked, or they had an informant or something, then they had her by these short hairs. Basically, after the assassination, they could do with her what she wanted, what they wanted to do, have her say whatever they wanted her to say. Yeah. No, there's definitely pressure that could have been exerted on her, and there are feasible reasons to believe why that is possible. Oh, exactly. All right, so let's get back to this defection, man. So let's take it all the way back to the beginning here. When, uh, of course, Oswald was Oswaldkovich in the Marine Corps, you know, and supposedly studying Russian literature and reading and this and that. <laughs> and shooting himself in the leg with his handgun. <laughs> yeah. Well, he manages to get a uh, hardship discharge in record time, right? And he's he's sent back home where he stays in Dallas with his mom for three days. And then he heads to New Orleans. And then he hops on a freighter and begins his long sojourn across Europe in, into Finland and finally into Russia. Now, my question is, how in the hell Oswald on his own would know about Albert Schweitzer College, where he told everybody he was going? And applied to how he would know that the most circuitous route and quickest route into Russia. Um, you know, these are questions that need to be answered when we're looking at all this. I mean, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever to get out of the Marine Corps, come home for three days, and then set off for set off for Russia. Exactly. Well, and that's why you know you've got the two schools of thought. You've got the one that say, well, it obviously means that he was a government agent, and then the other that says, well, it obviously means he had planned this for a long time ahead. And I don't think either one explains fully, and you know, there isn't evidence for either one to be the dominant idea, because it, you know, yes, Oswald did plan some of these things. He obviously planned some of what he did. You know, he didn't just come up with this stuff spur of the moment every time he did it. You know, like the interviews and the stuff that happened in New Orleans where he and Brunier were gotten into the fight. You know, some of this was set up. And Oswald was not just some patsy and everything. You know, he had to have some part in it. Right, right. And, you know, I, like I said, you know, even, even now, to, to plan that trip now would be a gigantic pain in the ass to do. Exactly. And we have, have the internet. Have some sort of knowledge of some sort. You know, like, he came, I believe he went to France, then England, then 
Helsinki. And Helsinki was one of the few points of entry into Moscow, into the Soviet Union, that was the, one of the best places to go through because it was not Americans and uh, British. Uh, from one of the documents I gave you, uh, uh, it says that um, they had recently complained uh, an American has, that they are not. Uh, Paying attention to cases of British and American espionage in Finland, adding that the Soviets and Western espionage in Finland would be furnished with security police. So basically, they were focusing all their attention on the Soviets, and Americans could operate freely. Right. So not only was it a great place to get into the Soviet Union, but it just happened to be a place where all of the security was lax. And it made it even easier for an intelligence asset to slip through. Yeah, which makes me think or lean more, I guess, towards the idea that he was he was given a specific route to get into the you know, to get into Russia and not just some kind of spur of the moment, you know, by his coattails kind of plan thrown together along the way, you know? likely someone in the central intelligence agency i'm guessing or in some intelligence service i mean they would yep you know military nsa you know anybody i mean even if theoretically it could have been someone in the military with him at the time right who might have known about this and just told him the information so that he was able to to use it later yeah found out he was interested in all this soviet russian stuff and said look man you really want to go Here's the easiest place to get into Russia, right here in Finland. You just got to get there, bro. Yeah, and well, and for people who think, you know, some people are going to say that it's highly improbable that an intelligence officer would consider that. I'd like to go real quickly to the Kassasin document. Oh, yeah. And the Kassasin document states it makes a little difference now, but Redwood, which was a code name, uh, for operations in Soviet areas in Moscow had at one time an OI operational interest in Oswald. As soon as I heard Oswald's name, I recalled that as chief of the sixth branch, I had discussed sometime in summer 1960 with then chief and deputy chief of the sixth research station of laying out of interviews through KU job and other suitable channels. So yes, it's totally within the realm of possibility because there was a CIA officer who considered using Oswald because there was something called the Legal Travelers Program that they had already been undertaking that used people, tourists like Oswald. Right, and you mentioned Redwoods there, and <clears throat> of course that's not the only program. We have Red Sox, Red Cap. You know, we know the we know now these little programs that the CIA was running to try to get defectors into Russia. from Richard Helms, where he says there's operational interest in using defectors. 
So this is before and after they're still doing this. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, everybody's got to remember back then, okay, this was the Iron Curtain. They, they, they couldn't see. They didn't know what the hell was going on over there behind, in Russia. I mean, their borders were tight. They, they, you know, they didn't let people in. You know, very, very little intelligence was coming out of Russia at this time. That's why they were flying the U-2 over it, trying to, you know, gain intel. And most of the intel operations had to be done basically by infiltration. And, you know, that's just the way spy craft was done back then. It was a very hands-on, in-person in kind of thing, you know? And defectors are not necessarily a thing of the past. You know, we all the way up until the end of the Cold War, there were defectors even into the 80s. That we had people going back and forth, you know, switching sides. Sometimes uh, another term is called a defector in place, where they'll actually, instead of defecting and coming to the country, they'll stay in their home country and just send information to the country that they're defected to. Right, and it doesn't necessarily mean either that they either have to know that they're an intelligence asset, or maybe they do know, but... Yep, winning and unwitting. It's, called, it's just called debriefing, you know? When, when somebody comes back like that, you just get them in a room and... Say, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're just concerned about everything. We just want to make sure you're okay. We want to know what, what kind of stuff happened over there since you were over there. Hey, you know, help your government out. Uh, you know, here's a map. Why don't you uh, plot on here, you know, where the police station is. Maybe, you know, tell us a little bit how life was over there. You know, how how the uh, grocery store worked or what people do for fun. You know, just Soviet life behind the Iron Curtain, you know. It didn't really have to be, well, you know, military intelligence, you know, like we're... Exactly, and, and that's exactly what they were in, in the Kazasin document. It says, we were particularly interested in the OI Oswald might offer, uh, the operational intelligence Oswald might offer on the Minsk factory in which he had been employed in certain sections of the city itself. Right, and, and for years, we'd always heard that Oswald was not debriefed when he returned. Which, according to 30 CIA assets... And PBS, he was. Yep. And we know from other documents that he was as well. But that was denied for a long time. And another interesting thing is he was only one of ten that was fully debriefed. Um, another one being Robert Webster, who was debriefed for two weeks, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, they probably kept Oswald less time since he had a kid and a wife he had brought back with him. But, you know, Webster comes back alone. They're going to lean on him harder. You know, impressive yeah. for info. Well, that's another interesting thing about Morena. She dated Webster as well. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That uh, you know, it's a little odd, given her background and her family over there. Her, I think her uncle was what the equivalent of the FBI over here. Everybody likes yeah, to say like KGB, a, but uh, KGB associated. Yeah, so, something like that. And uh, you know, I, I remember reading somewhere that. When she was, I might have been the Soviet. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure we get it right. It was it was some government post, but I believe it was military or or intelligence related. Yeah, yeah. And this was her uncle. Okay, and, you know her parents weren't in the picture at this point uh, because something happened when Marina was, I think, 16. Um, she got caught up in in something, some bad situation uh, where she was actually. I don't know if she was caught with or something bad happened with the Afghani ambassador. I think they were using her as a honeypot for, for that. And something happened with that and, uh, which caused her to be sent to live with her uncle. And, uh, you know, and then she went, got into pharmacy school or whatever she was doing there. And, uh, 
then, you know, a little while later, miraculously, in a nation of millions, this young lady happens to actually meet and have relations with two <laughs> American defectors. That's odd to me. That is improbable. Very improbable. Yeah, that that would work out exactly like that. And uh, something else mentioned in the Cassasin document is he states, at the time I was becoming increasingly interested in watching development pattern that we had discovered in the course of our bio-research work in six. The number of Soviet women marrying foreigners being permitted to leave the USSR and then eventually divorcing their spouses and settling down abroad without returning home. The Ocean 3 case was among the first of these, and we eventually turned up something like two dozen similar cases. We established links between some of these women and the KGB. Mm -hmm. KUDS became interested in the developing trend we had come across. It was partly out of curiosity to learn if Oswald's wife would actually accompany him to our country, partly out of interest in Oswald's own experience in the USSR that we showed operational intelligence interest in the Harvey story. Yeah, and what was going on at the time of the assassination? You have the beginnings of what could possibly have led to a divorce. You know, you have them living apart, not, not getting along well. And uh, you have this wedge, uh, Ruth Payne, and, you know, possibly Demorne Shield before her, you know, seemingly start to drive these wedges in between the Oswalds. And as people like to say, there is no direct evidence that I have seen anyway that links Ruth Payne to the Central Intelligence Agency. But <laughs> her sister, Sylvia Hyde Hokey, was employee of the Central Intelligence Agency. Her father was an informant of the Central Intelligence Agency. Yep, and there Her husband had a job at a secure government company. Right. You know, there, there, there are reasons to think, you know, I'm not saying that the pains necessarily have anything nefarious, but there are plenty of reasons to think that it's possible. Yeah, that they were brought with something to the table. Like, hey, even unwitting. Yeah, Perhaps you, Ruth was unwitting. It's called plausible deniability. You know, you get somebody. Yeah, you know, I mean, just talking around the table. Your sister asks you some questions about the people that are living with you. That doesn't necessarily mean you think that you're working an intelligence mission. Right. You know, just the, you know, but the circumstances. You know, around them meeting the pains at about the same time, you know, Demore Shield left and how, how, let's see, because I was reading like Oswald's timeline and when Ruth Payne took Marina to New Orleans in 1963, she stayed with them for three weeks before she went back to Dallas. So this woman's making an incredible time commitment to making sure that Marina is either okay or, um, you know, or what she's doing, you know, or setting her up, to, you know, I don't, I don't know. It just, it's, it's all very odd, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's strange and it's, again, kind of like with the defection and him finding the proper route to get in, one of the best routes to get into, it's improbable that it should keep happening. That, you know, like, just that there are so many people that keep helping them is strange. Yeah, exactly. And, 
you know, when when when, Os- when the Oswalds were in in Russia, okay, we know it's a communist society, okay. You know, it was it was what it was. You know, you didn't have to pay for health care or anything like that. You know, not even a place to live. You know, you just worked and everybody got their little. They're, they're, everybody got equal wages or or whatever it was. You, you, you know what I'm saying. The, the Oswalds weren't hurting. They were actually living pretty good in Russia. Well, yeah, because they had given the the through the Red Cross, which was basically the Soviet government, but they gave him a nice stipend. And the, I think the Soviets saw him as perhaps potential to embarrass America, so they were treating him good to keep him happy. Right. And you know if he's if he's an idealistic guy, you know if he's interested in Marxism, uh, and he go he actually went to Russia to check out communism and how it was over there. Maybe compared to the way he grew up, um, where you know they actually you know he didn't have to actually work. He was taken care of most of the time until he went into the Marine Corps, and even in the Marine Corps he's taken care of really. And he goes to Russia where he's taken care of, okay, and then they come back to the United States, and he's faced with the the very real dilemma of having a wife and a child that he has to, you know, actually provide for now. You know, he's not getting handouts. He's not getting help. You know, he doesn't go to the grocery store and they don't give him a loaf of bread and then a, and a bag of potatoes. And, you know, he's got to work for everything he, he gets now. And he's running into uh, various roadblocks along the way when it comes to gainful employment, I think, which it could possibly be motivation for him to be caught up in something, you know, a little extra money. Well, and, and yeah, no, it just affected political or idealistic, you know, person, the mentally unstable. If you go into the uh, document we talked about before, the CIA assassination guide, that they actually suggest that you use someone like that because they're easily discredited. Right. I mean, because when he came back, you know, it would have been the first time that he would actually have to fend for himself. And not only is he defending it for himself, he's got to fend for a family now. And he's got another kid on the way. So now it's uh, it's time to it's time to start, you know, getting your shit together and, and uh, you know, try to have a, make a good life for your family just like anybody would. Yeah. Well, and Russia was an utter failure, too. You know, he, he went over there. I think Oswald went over there with archaic ideas of Marxism and communism. You know, he was going over there with that 1917 almost revolutionary Marxism idea, you know, the original Karl Marx philosophies when this is, you know, post-Stalin. Yeah, the utopian society. It wasn't the same as the books he had read and, you know, idealized that it was going to be like. You know, he ended up complaining about that Russia had uh, fat bureaucrats like America had fat party bosses. So, you know, it's the same thing. He realized that uh, he had basically lied to himself and built this place up, which is why I think that it's possible that he himself went over there as a tourist. He, you know, he, he might have gotten aid in various ways, you know, whether it was direct aid or he informationally found out some of these things, but I think that he definitely was a part of why he went over there. He, you know, he had this idealistic dream, whether he was operating to provide intelligence later or whether he was just going over there to find, you know, his dream, he eventually became disillusioned. Like you said, he got forced back into the very real circumstances of poverty where there wasn't, there was no more gravy train. And he was, even when he was here, he was still acting with the archaic ideas of Marxism, 
you know, he when he did the interview, he didn't really describe Marxism. He went into other analogies to basically try to cover his lack of apparent knowledge of the subject matter. Right. And also... Also, he, uh, you know, at about that time in early 63, he started writing letters to the, to the, you know, to the embassy trying to get Marina home. And then it eventually, a couple months later, became both of them trying to get home. Or, or not home, but both, both back to Russia. Which seems odd to me. Like, maybe he had had enough here <laughs> in a short time back and was like, you know, okay. I don't like this very much. I'd much rather live an easy lifestyle and, and in a commune atmosphere, you know, where everything's shared and everybody has their job and their place and, you know, go back to that kind of lifestyle. Yeah. Well, yeah, no. And I think that, you know, I think the letter when he wrote to Robert Oswald, you know, he talked about the good, warm people and, you know, they want to see people live in peace and, you know, they don't want to see people economically enslaved. You know, he, he went over there with a, a lot of ideals that I'm sure were quickly broken down by the time he, you know, because uh, I can't remember uh, who had uh, made an issue of it, but someone had said that Oswald talked about how even with the extra money, there was not really much to spend it on in Russia. Right, you know, because so everything was given away. There was no, you know, economic system like over here, the glitz and glamour stuff to spend your money on. Yeah, yeah, you know, he, he uh, you know, grew up a certain way and and got enamored, you know, possibly from a distance with a different way of living. And then when he faced that reality, he's wasn't too enamored with it then, and you know, wanted the idea of maybe going back to the way things were and that it would be better. And then he got here, and he was disillusioned again, and wanted to go back. You know, it's very odd, man. Very odd. Yeah, no. The whole the the, the defection itself is strange, and then just the return. You know, uh, with you know, you got the State Department loan, which is odd, considering that part of the requirements for the State Department loan was loyalty to the United States, which if he's a defector, how is he loyal to the United States? Right. Now, I guess we should explain, too, how he technically wasn't a defector. Is I think he showed up, well, yeah. at, the, he showed up at the embassy on a Saturday and, and renounced his citizenship. And uh, they, they didn't really do business on Saturday. So basically, the guy there, what, just threw his passport in his desk and held on to it for Yeah. And you know how these embassy guys are. These are all CIA guys, you know. Well, yeah, he he was actually, yeah, a former employee of the Central Intelligence. That's another interesting thing is how Oswald keeps running into members of the Central Intelligence Agency and the Federal Bureau of Investigation over and over. Well, yeah, I mean, you can understand why, you know, U.S. embassy workers in Russia at the time are going to be some kind of intelligence operatives, I'm guessing, you know. Well, yeah. KGB and the GRU, which was like a predecessor to the KGB, did similar things where there would always, in all the consuls across the world, the CIA always assumed that at least the second or third level people in the embassy were going to be intelligence operatives. Right, and they watched their asses. You know, they, they you know, oh, yeah. it wasn't like these embassy workers could just have the run of, of, of America. You know, they were 
they understood this and they were watched, I'm sure, and bugged and everything yeah. else. Well, yeah, there was one case, um, uh, even, you know, in some of the strange ways that they would try to watch each other, uh, the CIA actually filed legal charges uh, against the Russian government because they were having uh, operatives that got sick because they were being marked with this radioactive dusts that the Russians would have people throw on them so that they could follow them to see where they went. Right. Now, when it comes to a little bit more now, I was reading about this guy, Carmine, Otto Atepka. He was doing this kind of his own investigation as, I think he was the head of security for the State Department on, on these uh, defectors. In early in the early 60s, and the interesting story about Otepka was when he started getting and and diving in more about this Oswald guy. Um, he kind of stood out from the from everybody else, and it it really rose a lot of questions for Otepka. Now, people like Bobby Kennedy, Walter Sheridan, and, and other people within the Department of State there. I mean, they were. Uh, I mean, this guy was digging. They they eventually demoted him and made his life a living hell for even trying to dig into Oswald's past and and what his defection really meant, which is a big red flag for me. I mean, if it, if it was just some innocuous, you know, random guy just defecting to Russia and you know they didn't they they weren't using him for intelligence purposes, then I don't believe they would have had to go through all these hoops you know to to discourage otepka and you know bug him and steal his files out of his safe and demote him out of a position of power and you know replace him with one of bobby's guys you know just just very odd odd timing of things there you know and it, it doesn't get much uh it doesn't get get much shine in the uh research community yeah no i, th I think that the, you know we definitely have to consider the fact that you know like i was saying earlier about the differences between the people who automatically cry Oswald the villain and St. Oswald same with Bobby Kennedy and all these people they're just people you know they all made mistakes they all had bad intentions sometimes they didn't always do everything according to the code that we would hope that they did you know Bobby Kennedy was a good man in some respects but he was also a politician and he realized that if you know, this person, uh, Otepka, that you were talking about, you know, or anyone got too deeply into the defector programs that they could stumble onto the legal travelers program that the agency was running, where they were actually using tourists and, you know, not necessarily defectors, but people that were abroad to get information, like you were saying, you know, that there were these people were unwittingly penetrating and getting information for them in some cases, and sometimes they were witting, and they just offered the information up to them, like DeMore and Schultz Right, because there have been a lot of people that just visited Russia, you know, and saw the sites and came home. Not many. You know, some people that were there on business, uh, you know, for a week or two and then came back, you know, they, they most likely talked to those kind of people, too. But that could have been revealed. Those programs could have been revealed, and then probably even more of concern to Bobby Kennedy, the CIA Castro assassination plots could have been revealed. And his part in allowing some of those to occur initially. Right, but the which would have been politically disastrous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the the logical thing when you're coming to, you know, things like that is that we did do it, you know. 
we we did things like that. You know, even I mean, look look what they did yeah. to uh, who was that guy that, that from Russia that defected in the mid sixties? Was it Nechipranko or Yuri Nosenko? Yuri Nosenko. I mean, man, they, they had that dude hold up forever. You know, just torching the shit out of him and you know trying to get information out of him, trying to figure out if he was legit or not. You know. Until, and, yep, and that was because uh, I believe Antony or uh, Antonin Galatsin, uh, a prior defector, had warned them that there would be people that would come after him that would try to discredit him and be sent by the KGB. And Nishenko, unfortunately, had the privilege of being that guy. Yeah. <laughs> that got the full brunt of. And, you know, we have to go back. I think that, you know, it also goes in the prior defectors back in the 50s. You know, Kim Philby, who was one of the Cambridge Five, one of the British uh, SIS defectors, and he had been friends with James Angleton. Yep. And he had, I think he was definitely what, because Angleton looked up to Philby and people from his generation. Yeah. And I think that influenced Angleton's obsession with communism and why, you know, people said that he got lost in the wilderness of mirrors. Yeah. Because he had been betrayed by his friends, he had seen communism, you know, attacked all of the things that he held dear. So he just went over the edge, yeah, and decided that everything was a communist plot. Yeah, I mean, and this was the guy that determined that he was, you know, in charge of counterintelligence. He and he was determined who was legit and who wasn't for the CIA. And exactly, he wasn't. And like I said, he, Philby was his boy, and look what happened, you know. like that are the worst because you know they're looking to appease you know not just two sides but three sides and you know god knows what he's telling each side if it's true or not but you know th- those are the guys that can do the most damage i think yeah oh yeah no moles are definitely the yeah the people who are true believers which i think is something that you know you can use to distinguish between philby and oswald are almost exact opposites i mean just beyond personality philby being more well-educated and fairly intelligent than oswald but you know they're they but the one thing that they 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 do share is that they were disaffected by their societies for whatever reason ideal their idealism did not go with the country that they were in so they decided to go elsewhere philby was an actual intelligence officer we can prove all the things that he did Right. With Oswald, you know, it's more in the gray area. We don't know. We don't know how much of it was his personal want to do these things for his idealistic purposes and how much of it maybe he was influenced or was unwittingly made to do this. And that's a good point. And that's <clears throat> that's a very good point because I touched on it in the last episode, but I just wanted to reiterate that, that maybe, you know, that just maybe, you know... That, Maybe that this guy was was. I mean, he was idealistic. Okay, you know, he was uh, he was interested in politics. He was interested in foreign policy. He was interested in political systems. Now, people like that don't necessarily 
pick up a gun to ch- to change things. And yeah. you know they were they do what Oswald was doing. They 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 go on uh, the the radio and debate people. They, they they'll talk about it in the streets. They'll hand out flyers. They'll go to rallies. They'll go make speeches. Um, they try to change policy verbally, you know, nonviolently. And that's why I, said, I was saying, you know, it's just so uncharacteristic that Oswald would eventually settle upon grabbing a gun in order to change things. When in well, fact, so little time to do it. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, you know, not really change anything, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, just, but make it worse. files we need to do it correctly <laughs> yeah and, and i think really it's just you know it's it's a matter of getting through them you know some of us are going through and you know doing our best to get as much as we can but it you know there's a ton of files that just haven't been read and i think that a lot of people are really concerned about the files that are supposedly going to be released in 2017 which i am not very hopeful about because they've already pushed it back twice yeah so I don't see them not pushing it back again. You know that doesn't that wouldn't surprise me if they did that. And let's just say that they do release everything in 2017. I don't think there's going to be a smoking gun in there. I don't think they're just going to hand us the smoking gun. No, there if might be some interesting something tidbits. Something that's going to be damning. It's yeah. Chances are it's already out there. It just hasn't been seen or read. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of stuff out there already that's pretty damning yeah. on on its own. But, uh, you know, we don't have the whole picture. It's just a piece of this, a piece of that. And, man, I guarantee you, I mean, everything that was released, you know, back when the ARRB was, 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 uh, well, no, the the JFK Records Act was was, uh, done. I mean, I'm sure there's still stuff out there that hasn't even been looked at yet. I mean, because people just don't have time to go sit in the archives and, and barrel through all these damn documents, you know, looking for looking for the needle in the haystack. It's just nobody has that kind of time, you know, and that they know that. Exactly. And that's what they were always counting on. The only reason why I think we've started to make progress in some ways, you know, uh, you know, I respect all of the contributions of the people that I call the old guard, you know, the last generation of researchers. And I respect the contributions of a lot of the new reliable researchers but I think that progress is starting to be made because, yeah, they couldn't. You, you can't expect that all of those people were going to spend their entire lives. If someone spent their entire life from graduation of high school till they died, chances are you still wouldn't be able to read everything. No, and your brain <laughs> it's going would to be know. a team effort. It's going to take people who have read the right things, who have focused on the right areas, bringing them together to put the puzzle together. Yeah, I mean, even going back to John Armstrong's book, Oswald and the CIA, I mean, that was released a couple years after the JFK Records Act came out, and it was, you know, compiled from documents, newly released documents, and there's a lot of good ones in there, and uh, but by no means is it complete. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it just barely 
barely scratches the surface. And then, unfortunately, you've got the whole, you know, me and Lee thing we've discussed before. <laughs> well, I forgot, I forgot the case was solved already. did some good research and it's overshadowed by that. Yeah, I forgot, I forgot they'd already solved the case. Yeah. What are we even yeah, still talking many, for? I mean, how many shit. people have said that before too? I bet you we could write a book and fill it with just the names of people who said they solved the case. <laughs> oh, we've got definitive proof because this crazy lady said so. Don't you know? Oh my god! All right, so is it? I once worked at Burger King for a month <laughs> with Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I gave him a ride. I picked him up here. I took him there. Exactly. I mean, it's just like I was saying before, man. It's just things get so twisted over all this time, passed down from researcher to researcher, and disseminated across the internet. That it's just a, it's a job unto itself just to untangle the mess and get back yeah. to the, the you know primary documents. Keeping the shit to chew level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is a chore. And right now we're up we're up to our necks in it, you know. And that's why we're here, people. We're just trying to, you know, grab a shovel and uh, <laughs> and dig all the shit away. Yeah. Oh man. So is there anything in these documents uh, that we haven't got to yet, Carmine? Yeah, that's a little odd. And hell, I don't even know that if okay, say say you know you go over there and you do renounce, they allow you to to renounce your citizenship. Citizenship. Is there a possibility to, to ever get back once you do that? Oh yeah, that's what yeah, I think. That actually happened with one person, Libero Riccardelli. That happened with he renounced his citizenship and his family. Uh, his but his family wouldn't. But he renounced his citizenship. He did get Soviet citizenship. Right. But then his family left and he decided he was going to come back because he was unhappy and he had mental problems. And they sent him back and he abandoned the Soviet citizenship and then reapplied for U.S. citizenship and got that. Oh, okay. So it's just a, a bureaucratic, basically, a bureaucratic but matter at that point. I think it should be harder. Well. <laughs> He's not loyal. He's obviously not loyal. You know, you're calling him a defector. He tried to renounce his citizenship twice. Why in the world would you give him a loan? Yeah, come on back. And not stick him in a dungeon for three years and try to figure yeah. out if they turned him or not. Yeah, bring your family. Bring your family and your kid, too. That's fine. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, and oh, I know what we didn't hit on. Um, how long How long did it take for Marina to get to... to <laughs> with the INS and you know they were wrangling with the 
Russian officials, but eventually, once all the paperwork got through, the, Marina submitted for her passport, and she got it the same day that she submitted. The same day. <laughs> Which is strange. That's a very quick processing time. Oswald, I think it took at least even a few days in Russia to get his paperwork okay. But with Morena, yeah, the same day they issued it. And, you know, I there are other documents that I've seen that I'm going to talk about in the book and that, you know, I've talked to you about a little bit. But there are other documents that show, too, that they were also giving her advice, you know, what country that they should leave through so that they would get the most beneficial laws to facilitate them getting to the United States. And this is Russia telling her that? No, this is the United States government telling oh, okay. the Oswalds the best paths for them to come back. Gotcha, gotcha. Wow. Nothing to see here, folks. Nothing to see here. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and they try to say that it's because they don't want Oswald to embarrass the United States. It could be an international incident, which maybe for some people it could, but that, that is a lot of work. A lot yeah. of time spent on this nobody. That just seems rather strange. And how in the hell did he get the money to pay back his brother, 400 and some dollars, so quickly? And he paid back the U.S. government, too. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of hard to do when you're making a dollar an hour back then, and you still got to live. Well, yeah. Yeah, you got to pay for a family, and apparently you're renting these other rooms. And... Wow. Yeah, no, the money question definitely is... is yeah because i mean you know you'd think that the u.s government you know if if he was giving them you know if he if he was you know willfully giving up information to help them out that they would return the favor you know possibly monetarily and help him get settled and get started and get back you know repatriated and get back into american life you know You'd think that'd be something that they would do if if he had helped them out. At least that's what I, I would have I would have bargained for that. I've been like, look, I'll tell you everything I know, but you got to help brother out, <laughs> okay? Because exactly. I don't have a pot to piss in right now. <laughs> yeah, it's and then it, it's also the inference when you add everything together, just from what we've discussed in this episode. That's a whole lot of improbabilities. So how much more improbable does it become when you put them all together and you see the, just this chain of strange events? Yeah, when you take a step back and look at the complete picture of you know the Oswald story and the assassination, it's just, like you said, it's just another seemingly random, randomly favorable uh, occurrence for, for Lee Oswald and company, you know? <laughs> and yeah, and it's the shift is also noteworthy. When you look, you see that, you know, he made all these mistakes and his life was a series of unfortunate incidents and then for some reason the universe shines upon him for 48 hours and he seemingly cannot make a mistake yep <laughs> all the way until the assassination is done exactly and then he becomes Oswald again yeah which and the reason we're talking about this people is just this little scenario, this little important scenario of this whole defection thing could possibly be the reason that the government is hiding, you know, are covering their ass and hiding files and possibly destroying files and covering things up 
is is you know because of this stuff you know it's national security stuff supposedly you know from 50 some years ago but you know could that you know alone be motivation enough for them to deep six this guy after the assassination and try to cover their ass I, I think that's totally within the realm of possibility, and I think it's still a reason why they would keep files classified today. Maybe there are programs that we haven't even begun to imagine that they were running on the Russians, and they don't want the current Russian government to find out about it. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, God knows. I mean, they were doing everything back then. You know, when it comes to MK Ultra type stuff, probably genetic experiments, and God knows what else. You know. You know, doctors were brought over here, and the scientists with the rocket technology. Yeah, Mangala with his genetic, you know, stuff. Who the hell knows, man? Just keeps getting weirder and weirder. (laughs) Yeah, and and I think it's good too that we don't we discuss that there are, you know, there's still nefarious reasons, but they don't have to necessarily be the reasons that most people would attribute to them. Not that it's some big plot directly tied to the Kennedy case, but it's all these peripheral illegal actions that the government was taking yeah. that also need to be hidden. You know, and, and that Oswald had the, the right kind of patsy backstory. Exactly. You know, to make this, that, the whole thing plausible. turned at the very end. Yeah. You know, and then, then they go into cover their ass mode. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that is to be expected in every scandal. Whenever you look at any government scandal... The perpetrators don't necessarily have some large group helping them. They just count on the fact that they can do something and the rest of the government will have to fall in line and go into damage control. Yep. Yep. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense when you when you step back and think about it. And, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean Oswald was up on the sixth floor shooting people, okay? No. You know, it just means that he had the correct pedigree of someone that they could pin this on someone believable to the american citizens in the world that hey this guy could have done it and most likely did do it doesn't necessarily mean he did it okay but he had the correct backstory and pedigree and ideals that made him the perfect patsy just like he said he was and you know I'm sorry, what were you saying? Uh, just, to, just like he said he was. I'm just a patsy. <laughs> yeah, and you know, this could be a... What, you know, as I've always tried to say, you know, they could be right, those people who disagree with us on this case. I don't think so. I think that a lot of the evidence shows a feasible conspiracy occurred. But, you know, if... If they're wrong, it doesn't have to be the big plot, like I've said before, that people try to make it. This could be a few people. You know, this could be just someone who told him to be at the right place at the right time. Someone else fired the shots, and that's it. It doesn't have to be, you know, the big, huge, Illuminati-esque plot that some people want to make it. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, when you look at a plot of something of this magnitude to kill a president of the United States in broad daylight at a motorcade. I mean, it's going to be planned very efficiently. It's going to be very compartmentalized, you know, where a lot of people wouldn't know exactly what the other hand's doing. And there's going to be plausible deniability. So it could not ever, ever get back to those who actually 
gave the okay and planned this thing. You know, they're going to look, you know, when you're planning a crime like this, you know, you're going to need somebody dependent on first and foremost. So the suspicion doesn't eventually make its way back to you. You know, you, you want the police to get their guy and that's it. Even more convenient if the guy dies in custody and he never sees his day in court. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's it. Yes, that's it for the investigation. <laughs> yeah. You know that that's it for the investigation. It's over. That's your guy. You know, and nobody ever looks any further except us. <laughs> but it's kind of hard to do that when we still don't know everything. You know, and we're still looking and we're still trying to piece everything together from what we do get. You know, we're like uh, trying to put this puzzle together, and they only give us a couple pieces every year to do it. So. Exactly. But we're getting there. We're getting there. Each new piece of evidence is a new piece in the puzzle. You got that right. All right, Carmine, I think we covered it pretty good today, my friend. Yeah, thank you for having me back, Rob. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for coming back on, man. I know, uh, I know you're still hurting. But I appreciate it. Everybody out there appreciates it. And uh, you get better, buddy, okay? I will. I, thank you. Um, do you care if I do a quick plug? Plug away, sir. If uh, everyone out there, please, if you get a chance, go to tpac.com, T-P-A-A-K.com. Uh, you can find Neapolis Media Group um, at the TPAC site. You can find our YouTube button. You can find uh, all of our social media buttons. You can uh, see... The link to the Lone Gunman podcast, the Ocelli Effect, and debunked blog. Uh, also, if you have an opportunity, please on Facebook uh, check out the Neapolis Media Group Facebook page. That's facebook.com/neapmg capital MG at the end. Uh, check out the Lone Gunman podcast page and like that as well, and the Ocelli Effect radio group and the and Chuck Ocelli journalist page as well. Awesome. And also, I got good news, buddy. I got over 500 followers on Spreaker here recently. We just cracked that plateau. And 100 likes on the Lone Gunman Facebook page. So those are two big, two big, yeah, two big plateaus. Yeah, milestones. We've reached there, and that's great, man. And I I just want to thank everybody out there that's continued to, to like and support the show. Um, and share it and, and help out financially. You know, everything everything is appreciated. And uh, I was able to actually purchase recently a new pair of headphones that I can use mobily so that my shows will now sound better when I can't sit in front of a computer and actually do them. And that's all thanks to you guys. And you will reap the benefits probably starting out the, uh, on the uh, next show. So thank you, everyone, that continues to support the show. Uh, you, can, you can support the show by heading over to tlgpodcast.com. There is a donate button. There are links there where you can shop uh, Amazon through my page, and it'll help out the show. Or hit, hit the vape store there and, and shop there, and it'll help out the show that way. Uh, or just continue to, to like our stuff and share links, people. That's what it's all about. We want new eyes on this stuff, as many as we can get. So if you like what we're doing, just you know, drop a link on your page. Say, hey, I'm listening to the Lone Gummin podcast. Say, you know, here's a link. Check it out. You might like it too. Or, you know, I visited tpac.com and I like it. And uh, you might too. And uh, like I said, Chuck Ocelli over at ucy.tv backslash TOE, still doing his thing. He's got a lot of uh, a lot of good shows in his archives when it comes to JFK interviews. Uh, and check out my buddy Doug 
over at the Dallas Action. He's cranking them out on a weekly basis now. That's good to see. And uh, my buddy Will on Twitter at JFK Prime Source is doing it up big there too. And uh, also a quick shout out to the White Mamba on Twitter at Obi Ren Kenobi. <laughs> uh, he wanted a shout out and. Uh, there it is, my friend. Thank you for being a longtime supporter of the Lone Gummin Podcast. I do appreciate it. That's it, people. Hope you enjoyed this number 69 today. And uh, we'll be back next week with number 70, people. This some bitches in the can, beamed up to satellite, down directly to your ears. This is your boy, thanking Carmine Savastano for coming back on the show today. Y'all have a wonderful day. This is your boy. Peace. to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.